Hi, I'm Greg Mastrider, and this is my podcast on trends of development of humanity. Today, here with me is Ashley Dudarinak, founder of Chozan and Alaris, China digital expert and best-selling author, LinkedIn top voice, Asia top 25 innovators, guru on digital marketing by Thinkers50, young business leader of the year 2021, and just a fascinating person that I would love to talk to and to mine insights about China, about the future of the world, uh, marketing, and many other things. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining in. Woohoo! Hey, Greg. Thank you so much. What an introduction. What an introduction. <laughs> Doing my best. Uh, so uh, you have quite an interesting biography. So you are originally like myself from uh, Russia, from Russian Far East, uh, and you got to China in tw uh, 2006. Uh, so uh, it was a, a different country back then with <laughs> Hu Jintao as a chairman. Uh, how, how would you compare uh, those two countries, China now? 2023 and China from 2006. Well, as you said, these are two different countries, just like the world, you know, 10 years back, it was a different world. And just like you yourself, 10 years ago, you were a different man. Um, yeah. The only constant is change. So China is, of course, changing. And what we see is that China is also changing at the China speed, which is extremely, extremely fast. The COVID has accelerated it even further. So in the past three years, the changes are even more profound. So when it comes to, uh, as you said, my background, yeah, I was born in the far east of Russia, um, very close to the China border. So I had uh, an opportunity to observe China when it was just opening up to the kind of Western world and it was still a manufacturing hub of the world. And throughout my whole kind of childhood and early adulthood, we actually, you know, being on the borders of China, we would go and buy everything, daily necessities across yeah. the border from, from a place called Sufenghe, just a little basically village that later on turned into a trade center. So everything from shampoo to jeans, etc. So basically from the time when I first visited China, when I was probably like seven or eight years old, to the time when I moved to China when I was 17 years old in 2006, to the time where I am right now in China, these are indeed three different countries. And you know, to say what has changed, well, first of all, everything is a ge generalization because China is such a big country. What changed in Mongolia, in Mongolia, and what changed in Guangdong, uh, Guangdong are completely different things. But if we generalize, I would say it definitely became a lot more digital and more focused with a clear vision of what this digital reality is like. So we know that, we hear that all the time. Like if a foreigner, let's say, decides to, right now the borders are open and if you get a visa, you decide to fly to Shanghai, I mean, good luck. You will not be able to take a cab from airport to your hotel if you don't have an app, if you don't have DD, if you don't have uh, basically access to some of the digital payments. Right now, of course, there are some tourist apps, but in the past three years, there were no tourists, so all of them are extremely difficult to use. But basically, it's extremely digital uh, from, you know, the cities to, uh, to uh, when you're in a hotel or in the office, little robots are serving you and bringing you your, your, your shopping from downstairs. Uh, to the fact that the delivery guys that actually carry your, uh, again, groceries and stuff like that, they actually wear those uh, assist suits that make them carry heavier stuff. So it's very, very digital. Number two, China has definitely in the past 10 years uh, become a lot more uh, focused on China chic, or we call it China pride, or we can call it patriotism in one way or the other, basically becoming a lot more proud, right? Back in the day, I remember when, when I first, again, as a child, um, traveled, you know, outside of 
uh, Russia. And then we visited three countries. We visited Japan, we visited Korea, uh, South Korea and uh, China. And I mean, Koreans were proud doing what they were doing. Uh, Japanese had all these great quirky products. And made in China was just never really cool. Everybody thought that this is this is really cheap, really bad. It's gonna break, but I'm going to buy another one and and just you know get it out. And even Chinese back then they wanted foreign products, uh, be it anything, be it a toothpaste or you know some food products later on, or buying foreign jeans and stuff like that. So right now, definitely a huge change. Chinese are proud of not just country, not just their heritage, not just their history but also proud of the products and how they contribute uh, to this, you know, to this world and to themselves. Um, just recently I had actually, um, please stop me if I'm blabbering too much, but... Um, uh, this is fascinating, continue. <laughs> <laughs> just recently I was speaking with a colleague of mine and we were talking about the Korean wave, you know, like all the K-products mm -hmm. and, you know, K-fashion and K-beauty and K-pop and K-dramas. And in China, there's a huge downturn in popularity of uh, K-products, and there's many reasons. Major reason probably is that in 2017, there was a political tension between the two countries. And back in 2022-23, there was a further development onto this kind of unfriendly treatment of Chinese and Koreans and vice versa. So it's, it's very, very important to have proper country branding in China in order to be successful with consumers. But what I wanted to say is that um, back in 2020, there was a survey which basically looked at top tier city consumers. And they said that around 79% of consumers back then, just three years ago, used a Korean product. So they bought Korean products five years before prior to that. Almost 80% or 79% of consumers. And then in 2023, in January, just a few months ago, they did the same survey. It was actually run by a Korean center because Korea is basically very curative uh, about their country branding, right? They invest mm -hmm. a lot in how uh, they are perceived. So the survey showed that only about 40% of people have used and bought Korean products. And why? So a colleague of mine was saying that another reason, apart from the political tension, is that Chinese domestic products, when it comes to skincare, cosmetics, you know, on-body, in-body, snacks, um, fashion, etc., just it's very good quality and we want to support kind of a domestic, uh, you know, manufacturer. So more digital, definitely more China chic. Number three, we definitely see a lot more presence of government and governance. And you started with it. Yeah, you said it was Hu Jintao. Right now we have Xi Jinping and definitely the feeling, the whole feeling is different. With Hu Jintao, everybody was focusing on business. It was just hoorah, rah, go ahead, everything is possible. There was this genuine feeling of being invincible, com completely invincible, because in China back then, you could always do whatever you wanted to do in terms of business. Like if somebody tells you, oh, no, we don't know how to do it. There's a regulation, blah, 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 you say, OK, I understand. But how can we make it happen? And then you will together find a way. So there was always a way to basically grow, do business, etc. Right now, you know, the, the, the tides have changed. Right now, there's definitely a very strong presence. So this is where the country going. That's what Xi Jinping um, kind of uh, mindset and, and the whole uh, thought process is. Um, and you need to just align yourself with it. That's the reality of that market. But also, of course, a few things re remain the same. I cannot say that uh, not the same, but similar, right? China is still full of enthusiasm. 
Uh, people are quite optimistic in general compared to the rest of the world. There's definitely this China speed. Everything is done very fast. The fact that the Chinese professionals and entrepreneurs still have a very entrepreneurial mindset is also still there. So things change, but also kind of in the background, they kind of also retain some of its uh, energy. Uh, yeah, great insights. When you mentioned the Chinese speed, I immediately remembered the COVID uh, uh, period when uh, several of the ch uh, large Chinese IT companies, I think, rolled out uh, significant updates for video conferencing within like a couple of months. And uh, Western companies were lagging behind terribly. <laughs> like uh, that, that impressed me very much when I started uh, digging deeper into that. You also mentioned uh, the specifics of uh, Chinese customers. Uh, the Chinese market that you need to bear in mind when trying to conquer it, because this is like a sweet spot and uh, uh, many, many international brands dream of uh, uh, breaking into the Chinese market, uh, winning the hearts of the Chinese audience. Uh, also, uh, I'm uh, getting a little bit ahead of myself, but still, I, uh, you, you know that I, as a originally Russian influencer, started going international with my English uh, language uh, podcasts blogs, TikToks, and now I'm learning Chinese to, in future, maybe try to become a Chinese-speaking uh, um, uh, influencer. And we'll discuss that also. I'd love to get some insights from you on that. Let's start with just international brands, not, not like an influencer, because this is just a specific case. But uh, let's imagine some uh, international brand that's trying to enter the Chinese market. You, uh, in uh, some of the posts and videos of yourself uh, that I saw, you said that uh, such companies are usually facing, I guess, three main hurdles, uh, obstacles, culture, Chinese culture, quantity over quality problem, and the platforms itself. Could you please uh, go uh, a little bit uh, uh, in detail on those three areas? Let's start with culture, because uh, obviously everyone knows that the Chinese are like uh, not just foreigners to Westerners, but some Westerners think they are like aliens. They are com completely different in many things. For many Westerners, uh, this is hard to grasp how exactly the Chinese culture differs from the Western culture. What would you mention as the most like uh, important points uh, to mention here? I need to start answering that question with a disclaimer. I'm not a sinologist. When I came to mainland China back in 2005, six, or before that, and maybe a few years after, a lot of foreigners that relocated to China for the purpose of studies, they were sinologists, meaning they studied the culture, the language, and uh, all that. I studied business and economics. I'm a business person. I studied linear algebra and uh, higher mathematics too, together with Chinese students, rather than Chinese culture. My experience, of course, is um, uh, in the China business market, and that is why I can speak from my experience and share that. Uh, and the second disclaimer is that today I am actually a naturalized Chinese. So I am no longer Russian and I cannot refer to yeah. them and us, right? I am a naturalized Chinese. And of course, China is a very diverse place, right? There's 56 national minorities. Whenever we try to kind of generalize Chinese culture, it becomes very difficult and troublesome because there's so many different cultures. It's just a little bit like in Russia, right? In post-Soviet, mm -hmm. uh, basically Soviet Union, there were, I think, nine, uh, 123 national minorities. I mean, try to think about that as one collection of, you know, a group of people. But important thing is, Number one, it's 5,000 years history. So the culture is extremely deeply rooted into everything. 
Like when we think about a character, just the character, the scripture, yeah. each character has a lot of background. Where is it coming from? Was it mentioned in a book 3000 years ago? Has Emperor XYZ used this character to scold his general? I don't know. <laughs> no. And we just cannot comprehend very often in the kind of Western uh, setup. It's very difficult to comprehend how deeply rooted it is in everything. Um, number two, in my experience, uh, Chinese culture is also very philosophical. So, uh, you know, we talk about the Russian soul, right? We talk about yeah. Tolstoy and we talk about, you know, all these great thinkers of the day. Um, I would say that Chinese are even deeper than that a mm -hmm. lot, right? So these phil phil philosophical discussions and this kind of philosophical view on life, um, but very pragmatic. So it's philosophical, but when it comes to day to day, they are extremely pragmatic. Right. So as you see this, this kind of conflict in some ways, right? Then um, Chinese are extremely collective because they love harmony. So we do not want to create waves and, you know, ripple effect and, you know, bother other people. But at the same time, right now, a lot of young people and even, for example, silver hair generation, yeah, the older consumers from, mm -hmm. uh, consumers from, let's say, lower tier cities, they're also extremely individualistic. I'm very collectivist in certain things and I'm very individualistic in, in others. What can you do when you like approach this market, be it, as you said, relocating to this market, learning a language, um, changing, you know, changing your nationality, becoming Chinese or launching a business there, selling a product. You need to understand number one, China is very diverse and very different from Urumqi to Guangdong to Shandong. It's a different country. It's like a collection of little places. It's like Europe. And number two, you need to be humble. You need to mm -hmm. learn and create together. So this is kind of, you know, very basic. It's actually good for any new market. Doesn't matter whether you're entering India or you're entering Germany or entering China. But it's here good for it's life even, in general. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So just be humble and ask. Ask people questions and create together. Like get yourself the, you know, Chinese colleagues and launch with them what your, let's say, blogger business or your, your, your product business is going to look like. Yeah, get the right help and be humble and go get them. It's not scary. It's really, really fun because you are adding so much depth onto mm -hmm. also yourself when you are in that market, you are learning and, and uh, just expanding. Thanks for the advice. Also, uh, I think we can get to the second hurdle obstacle that you mentioned, the quantity over quality problem uh, when entering uh, the Chinese market that has something to do with uh, the amount of brands, uh, the number of brands and the amount of content, the amount of uh, stuff going on in China. Yeah, absolutely. So it is um, actually when it comes to quality, versus quantity, you need to be not on all platforms like when it comes to social media, of course, you need to be at select platforms. China is mm -hmm. extremely expensive market. So you need to invest a lot for a chance to win a little. And once you know what works, you optimize the platform. Um, so that is why, again, you just need to be very, very selective. But when it comes to, for example, um, publishing your content you need to still deliver the quantity but it needs to be above the minimal threshold of mm -hmm. quantity so it's it, it's uh, I, I think it's really um quite not unique 
there are a few things that are unique about China. Uh, for example, when it comes to um, promotions and marketing and campaigns, you need to put a face on your on your promotion. So you cannot just give the, I don't know, the, put a pen uh, against the white background and sell a pen. You need to show the face that somebody or Ashley or Greg are holding the pen. So that's unique. Yeah. Um, you, you also cannot just do branding. A lot of brands uh, that enter China, they say, oh, let me just do branding. Just do, okay, this is my mood board. This is the direction where I want to go. Oh, this is the color. This is the feel and touch. That's all great. Must be done. But there also needs to be a very strong sales push. For example, this coupled with live streaming, which purely introduces the product. This is the pen, the feature, and of course, just closes the deal. And of course, you need to move very, very fast um, as well in that market because things kind of evolve fast and... Uh, most brands know that they need to be fast, but they can't. They just can't do it because of their external structures. So yeah, uh, quality you know, over quantity needs to find the right balance. Yeah, uh, moving fast is, uh, I think, extremely important in the current world. But when I, when I look at China, I understand that we are not, not moving fast enough in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the third thing that you mentioned, and we already started uh, um, uh, talking about uh, it uh, to some extent, is uh, the platform and the vast uh, uh, array uh, of them in China. So when I started researching, uh, researching the social networks in China, um, I've come across lots of them. So they there's like uh, several Instagrams, uh, several uh, uh, different kinds of uh, live streaming platforms, uh, several competitors of uh, uh, something like Twitter uh, analogs. I don't remember the names, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I was impressed and I, I didn't even know where to start. And also there is a problem that you don't have the ability to use them unless you are uh, inside China or you have a SIM card. So this is like a, an, a, an additional yeah. barrier. Uh, what do I need to understand about uh, social networks uh, uh, of China mm, as, a, as a brand or as a blogger in my case to succeed? Well, to increase your chances for success, you need to know that there's a lot of stuff going on with a very specific audience in mind. For example, if you're after people that are into collectibles uh, or sneakers, then you go after a platform called the um, outside of China, I think it's called Poison. Uh, it's basically a traded platform for branded train, uh, trainers, right? In China and sneakers. But they also have other products. Then if you are into fitness or let's say traveling, right? Then or luxury or even like financial services, for upscale individuals, then your platform is red, and that is also very female focused, but they are making decisions mm -hmm. for the whole household. If this you is are a into, small red book, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, little yeah, red HSK book. Yeah, yeah. Too. Yes. Woo! <laughs> yes. Yes, no, you're doing a fantastic job. Um, yeah, so basically, there are platforms that focus on a specific audience. And you need to explore a few of these platforms that are closest to your audience and then pick one or two maximum that work and really invest into them, invest into content, invest into whatever other boosting. That's, I think, what you need to know. If I could give a little glossary of the important platforms, then I would say, obviously, WeChat. It's just because everybody mm -hmm. is on WeChat. But it's more of a operating system for life in China rather than a social media app. It has a lot of social functions, 
But the purpose for you to go there is not to enjoy social media. Um, Weibo is um, a platform that essentially uh, helps you track news and uh, celebrity gossip and stuff like this. It's like a Facebook plus Twitter plus a bit of Instagram together. Um, it's It was kind of going down a couple of years back. Right now it's a little bit back. So it is a little bit kind of going out of fashion, but cannot die. You know, it's it's like... It's like the, I don't know if you guys ever had, I, I have a dog or also, and the dog is like 15, 16 years old. And you just look at it and you love him so much and you hope that he is never, ever going to die. But it, but it, but it, you just know, when is yeah. the last day? So it's a little bit like this. Weibo really is still trying to find its uh, its way back into love. Um, then, of course, Xiaohongshu. Xiaohongshu uh, made a really big comeback after ha they had some regulatory issues a few years back. So they are very, very strong in curated content, uh, bloggers in, uh, as I said, women-related kind of topics and, and uh, products. Uh, Douyin. Douyin is the Chinese TikTok. version of TikTok. Yeah. But I would say in China, TikTok is really not about social media. It is a very successful social commerce platform where they are great at converting sales. Mm -hmm. They actually sell uh, snacks, they sell beauty products, they sell fashion, they sell your next sneaker. Um, they're very good at it. They convert through short videos and they convert, of course, through live streaming. So they made this transition. In the West, they tried to go into that direction and they're still figuring out their way. And then I said, of course, there's niche platforms. I mean, there's still Doban. It's about books because I know that you are all about, you know, books yeah. and reading. Yeah. There's, um, as I said, the Wu and many, 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 many others. Yeah. With TikTok, they're figuring out not just the way to live stream and sell goods, but also to not get banned in the US, <laughs> which I'm hoping they won't because they have 130,000 <laughs> subscribers, most of whom are from the US, USA. So <laughs> fingers crossed. This could be very ironic. Uh, in Russia, where platforms were banned <laughs> to get your American TikTok banned as well. So uh, just out of curiosity, I'm not intending to turn this into a consultation uh, <laughs> session with you. Uh, this is still a podcast, but I think my listeners and viewers might be interested as well. So I'm a TikToker, among other things, and podcast host. So uh, as a TikToker, I should definitely be trying to uh, go to Douyin and to to try to produce content there. Uh, am I right? Or are there any other alternatives that I should be considering? Because with TikTok, uh, for example, in the Western market, I uh, produce those short form vertical videos and I distribute them to TikTok, to Instagram Reels and to YouTube Shorts. How does the distribution system work with, uh, with the Chinese uh, vertical short form content. Obviously, I'm far from uh, the Chinese level necessary to produce this content, but I'm thinking in advance and I'm trying to learn <laughs> as fast as I can. Well, I would say uh, if you go to Douyin, uh, definitely you can uh, apply a lot of learnings that you have on TikTok uh, into that platform. It's just a lot more. It's like think about TikTok as this skinny stripped down version of Douyin. Douyin has a lot more features. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a foreign creator on Chinese platforms, you need to get a permission. You need to be registered. So that's another hurdle. Your Chinese needs to be good enough. Or if you are to speak, let's say, a foreign language, then you need to get registered. Like they need to know what are you talking about there ah, on these platforms. So the platform <laughs> needs to vet you. And in order to get vetted, you also need to basically get, as I said, permission. Because in China, and that's what also a lot of people don't kind of realize in China, 
it's not just an individual creator who is responsible for the content that he or she puts out, but also a platform. So if ah, I allowed mm -hmm. Greg onto my mm -hmm. platform, then Greg goes off the rails and talks about, I do not know what, on the platform, which is against, let's say, certain guidelines, then I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get fined as a platform and they're going to take me off, for instance, the uh, iTunes and there's no new downloads and basically my business is going to, um, you know, suffer. And that's what happened before with a lot of platforms, including Xiao Hongshu. Xiao Hongshu mm. had a big scandal, Xiao Hongshu being red, right? They had a big scandal where a Chinese market has discovered uh, aesthetic beauty. So basically all these medical procedures, kind of, you know, uh -huh. all the plastic surgery. And Xiao Hongshu just had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of advertising, not just advertising, but basically bloggers publishing about it. And some of these clinics were unregistered clinics. So people would go mm. do a procedure, have a problem and then report it. So basically Xiao Hongshu got in trouble because of that. Not because they did something wrong, but because the bloggers there were not reliable and basically were spreading, you know, um, all this kind of fake news, we can say. To go back to your question, I think definitely Douyin is one platform. Another platform that you shall consider is called Bilibili, for sure. Um, it mm. is very powerful when it comes to knowledge sharing, learning, mm -hmm. thinking, interacting, right? It's all about bullet point comments, like you have a video and people, people basically just comment on screen. And mm -hmm. uh, the videos are a bit short, longer, so they go typically 20 to 30 minutes, but mm -hmm. uh, very impactful among the young people and young professionals. Uh, mm -hmm. Another platform you might consider if you want to get into more kind of entertaining and more aspirational trend, basically, if you want to get more organic uh, push, then you go to Show. Show is mm -hmm. very low market, like kind of it goes into like third tier, fourth tier CDs, so you need to be a bit more down to earth. You need to be a bit more kind of funny. You need to be a bit more connected with, they have these uh, seven big families, we call them, right? The family is basically, it's like a mafia, you know? It's like a mafia wow. on Kwaishou. Yeah, yeah. These are bloggers that then uh, kind of raise their own bloggers and they become one. Uh, ah, like, one, like TikTok houses like or clans. collective or a house, yeah, yeah. but these are mm -hmm. individuals. What's different, it's mm -hmm. not an MCN, it's not a multi-channel network. In mm -hmm. China, we call companies that actually uh, help bloggers succeed MCNs, right? They train you, they you cross-promote with each other. No, these are, these are individuals that build their own kind of network. So you need to also obviously have a relationship with them. So it's a little bit tribal, I would say, but nonetheless, Kwaishou is very organic. So you might consider. And of course, Rand, I think Rand, um, if you want female audience, if you are talking about some yeah. kind of step-by-step uh, -step guide, you can also break them down into, into text and put some videos in. Red is also rather organic and it has very big boost um, uh, towards your SEO. Whatever people buy do, they will see red in search results very, very frequently, much more so than, let's say, Douyin. Yeah, so that's uh, already uh, <laughs> some uh, alternatives uh, also to consider. Obviously, I will get uh, to uh, business closer to the date while I, when I, when I'm in China, and I will uh, research all all of those and uh, boost my efforts uh, of learning Chinese uh, as well as learning Chinese platforms. It's very interesting that with the 
American discussion of section uh, 230, I think it's called, uh, regarding the liability of platforms for the content produced uh, by the creators. <laughs> it's interesting that the Chinese have already solved this, this question. I'm sure someday in, in the US, uh, the stance of the regulators will be similar because uh, the trend uh, kind of seems like towards uh, tightening the regulations. The whole digital world, absolutely, it needs to be, it needs to be brought into into some order we all agree mm -hmm. there needs to be order but yeah, there is yeah. a lot of pushback from obviously those that say oh but order also comes with surveillance and, and it comes with a lot of risks it does but what is mm -hmm. better i mean we all have a passport right our, our mm -hmm. governments doesn't matter where we live be it the us or germany or in that sense china has a record of who we are, where we were born, what school did we go to, and you know, are we married, are we divorced, etc. They probably have access to our, you know, uh, half of our life. So in China, there's discussions about introducing the universal ID uh, as well, mm -hmm. where you need to, yeah. And in a lot of services, you already need to verify your identity and have this kind of, um, you know, ID when you interact in the digital world. And especially as we develop into some blended reality with virtual world and physical world coming together yeah. one way or another beat metaverse or whatever other buzzword we want or don't want to use blended in with you know ai and you know all these uh, all these new models that are right now trending ultimately we will have to find a way to identify people online yeah, well, as a Web3 enthusiast and evangelist, I believe in, in the blockchain to solve this problem, yeah. like Vitalik Buterin's suggestions to yeah. create soulbound tokens, uh, maybe we'll see something like that, because I'm not like an anarchist, but I, I don't trust uh, any government <laughs> enough to, uh, to to have this kind of ultimate power to control everything. But uh, we will see what, what will unfold uh, in China and in other parts of the world. Also, uh, I wanted to ask about podcasts do the chinese listen to podcasts and uh, how common is that chinese do listen to podcasts but i would say it's less now than it was in the first year of pandemic in 2020 there was a huge blow uh, in that market um there's a platform called Himalaya, which is himalayas yeah mm -hmm. in direct translation where there are courses there are podcasts uh, there's all that stuff there and people still want to learn, but right now videos and even like Douyin when it comes to learning something, yeah, listening mm -hmm. to inspiration, yeah. So what does Douyin provide? It's basically education, uh, inspiration uh, and sales and entertainment, of course, right? So videos are kind of taking over, but there are a lot of use cases still for audio. In China, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, um, when I'm speaking about podcasts, I'm speaking also about video podcasts, uh, like 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 this one, by the way. Uh, if you guys are listening to this in the audio version, check out the YouTube channel Greg Mastreader yeah. and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, who's the Joe Rogan of uh, China, <laughs> or I don't know, the Lex Friedman of China? Who's the the the, the most well known podcast host uh, f of the like I don't know intellectual high earning audience? Is there one? I don't think there is one. I mean, I'm following mm -hmm. a couple of guys that are absolutely phenomenal in my field. There's a mm -hmm. dude that's an ent entrepreneur, and I, I don't think that the name will will ring any bells outside of China. But I'm following the dude who is uh, who's built businesses for the past 20 years. And basically on his Douyin channel, he also has his Simalaya courses and stuff. 
whether it's Douyin channel, he has snapshots of his offline event where he goes into the business case, he calculates in his head mm -hmm. and he gives this business advice on what do you need to do next to basically scale up your business. He's fantastic. I'm listening to the other lady who was her whole life and she's also very, very local Chinese. She was in sales and she was in insurance and she was in finance and she was whatever. She's fantastic when it comes to leadership. She basically can dissect what are people doing wrong with other people in relation to professional world. So what I want to say is that, um, of course, there are big names. I mean, before the, the, the collapse of uh, Jack Ma when he went out mm -hmm. of favor, a lot of people loved listening to Lei Jun, right? A lot of people loved uh, listening to Jack Ma. Now, a lot of people love to listen to these big names from big companies and, you know, get their wisdom, especially people they respect, right, in different fields. Right now, mostly in terms of the audio time, right, in, in terms of how much you actually spend listening and learning from someone, it's very niche. It's very niche. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. find somebody who really speaks to you or helps you solve your specific problem, and then you go deep dive uh, into that. But yes, if you're interested in a couple of names, for a specific topic, do let me know. I'm going to throw you a list. I'm going to get my team on it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And also we'll give the links uh, to these guys uh, in the description of the video and the audio versions of podcasts for, for everyone interested. Because I know that uh, uh, my podcast has a very diverse audience. Some of them are also from Hong Kong, which uh, which is the place and you are you at right now. And if you guys speak Chinese, exactly. If, yeah. if you speak Chinese, you will be able to enjoy mm -hmm. it. Yeah, so uh, maybe this will also be useful for me for language learning pur purposes. Uh, okay, let's uh, speak more about the trends uh, of China. Uh, you know, when I think about uh, cities like uh, Hong Kong or Shanghai, uh, I'm thinking about cities of the future. And this is, well, a cliche, but they they, they really are. It's it's no wonder that in the movie uh, Her by Spike Jones, uh, with this uh, artificial intelligence series, uh, falling in love with uh, Hawk and Phoenix's uh, character, the city of the future portrayed is uh, Shanghai, actually, because, because it looks like one. And Hong Kong also uh, very fut futuristic. But it's not just the looks, but the, the insights, uh, the way that the Chinese uh, interact with technology. Uh, many things that are uh, not obvious and uh, not part of life for Westerners uh, are commonplace in China. Which would you, by the way, uh, provide as examples of this? Like you mentioned, for example, the widespread uh, penetration uh, of uh, WeChat in the daily life like it's it's the go-to app for doing everything many many of our viewers and listeners will say well what it's just an app for payments and for chatting what's what's so special about it so what's so special about WeChat? a long question let me break it down into two bits one is about the chinese cities and the second one is mm -hmm. about what's cool about wechat when it comes to Chinese cities and digitalization within them, first of all, Hong Kong is super, super duper old school. And it has its charm. And I am a big fan of mm -hmm. Hong Kong. That's why I chose it as my as my home base. Uh, but I love that my offices are also located at both Shanghai and Shenzhen because Hong Kong mm -hmm. is extremely old school. It's no longer a city of neon lights, but it is a city of... Uh, beautiful nature it is the city of uh, finance uh, of a lot of vibrant energy uh, fantastic food and 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 now when it comes to mainland chinese cities um of course we have uh, 
a few that we must mention. First of all, Shanghai. Shanghai, of course, is the fashion capital. It's the finance capital. It's a very inter- it's the not the most international city in China, but when it comes to professional foreigners, it is the most professional foreigners um, kind of place in China. Even though during the pandemic, uh, yeah, fifty to sixty percent of foreigners escaped uh, China, mm-hmm. and right now we are in dire straits. There, a good friend of mine just flew in uh, this week from mm-hmm. Shanghai, and he said. It's a, like a desert when it comes to you know places <laughs> where where the foreigners used to hang uh, hang out, but um, nonetheless, Shanghai is very focused on digitizing itself. And like, what can you see in Shanghai? First of all, um, as you arrive, let's say in the airport, you will be able to. Actually, it's in Guangdong Airport, but in Shanghai, I'm not sure whether they do something so cool. Uh, in Guangdong uh, Airport, we actually have holograms that welcome you. And uh, the hologram is bowing and saying, oh, you know, foreigners to the left or Chinese citizens to the right. That's really cool. Kind of, yeah. kind of, of course, uh, you know, bars, uh, nothing special, but it's cool. In Shanghai Airport, just like in many other airports, you will also be able to see the digital um, screen that, will be able to recognize your face. So it's facial recognition. You don't need to scan any of your boarding passes. You just come to the to the session, right? And this section shows you, okay, your flight is leaving for Turkey in three hours. You're right now here. You need to go to the left in order to get there, which is really, really cool. Um, and then, as I said, when you um, get on the cab, uh, it's... Well, in Shanghai, there's no driverless vehicles, but in many places, for example, Xiang'an, there's a city next to Beijing. It's a city that was built for the future of mobility. There are real road paths for driverless vehicles. So you're able to just come up to the stand, scan the QR code, driverless vehicle arrives, you get in the car and it gets you uh, to where you want to go. This is not available in Shanghai, I want to highlight yet. But nonetheless, there are cities in China where this is already commercially available. Um, another thing in Shanghai, uh, the moment you are in your hotel, yeah, you, uh, <laughs> a good friend of mine, the one that just came from Shanghai, said, okay, he entered the hotel room and he can't find a switch. So he's walking around and looking uh. for that switch <laughs> and he calls the front desk and says, oh my God, what's happening? And, and the lady says, just talk to, to basically your you know, in-house Siri, right? So so to say to this uh, speech assistant. And then he said, oh, dim the light and the light dim. Switch on the TV. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is, and this is not in just, oh, one or two hotels. It's it's very, very common. And at home, people also have smart home um, software installed. Not everybody, but, uh, you know, middle class and up, many, many are running their home on Xiaomi. Uh, what else? And then again, little robots bring you stuff. For example, as you sit in the in the little uh, coffee shop or having your lunch or dinner, you can't even come up to the person and say, "Oh, please take my order." There's a QR code glued on your table. Then you need to have uh, WeChat or you know Alipay uh, to check out and to pay for it. But ultimately, you scan the QR code. You have the menu. You choose what you want. You add what you don't want. You pay for it. You sit and wait. And then little robot. Uh, with your noodles, comes out of the kitchen, stops, you pick up your noodles, it, it's gone. That kind of version of the future. You know, when I was when I was little and I was traveling abroad for the first time, literally I was in Japan. This was, I think, my first overseas trip. And I saw an escalator. It was like ah. a moving <laughs> stairs. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a spaceship. And also I saw the doors and the automatic doors, and they would just open and close. 
I was, I was, it was literally, it was like, 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 like a spaceship. So right now, a lot of foreigners that have not been in China for some time, when they arrive, they just literally feel that this is, yeah, this is the future. This is really strange. Some find it utopian, others dystopian, but that's mm-hmm. what it is. So Shanghai is important. Another important place is Shenzhen. Shenzhen is uh, yeah. focusing a lot on green uh, mobility. They have, I believe, if not a hundred, that 90 plus percent of their public transport running on renewable energy and technology. Um, they have a lot of uh, driverless tests, et cetera, et cetera. Just like Shanghai, they are also building the clone of their city in the metaverse in order to organize traffic, in order to organize like basically city operations virtually first in the metaverse through a digital clone and later on apply it in real life. Of course, uh, Shenzhen has their giants. They have Tencent, the, the tech giant that's backing a lot of that development and implementation. They also have Huawei as another giant. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great, great place to visit for smart city. Uh, another important place is Chengdu, uh, right in the center of China, very close to Chongqing. Chongqing is very close to my heart because this is the place where I studied. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Chengdu is the go-to place when it comes to entertainment and creativity and building bloggers and MCNs and whatever. So Greg, if you are ready to relocate to China to really learn the language and to really be you know, part of this whole big picture, I would strongly recommend not go to Shenzhen or Beijing or Shanghai. Go to Chengdu uh, mm-hmm. because the creators of the future, the MCNs that are right now selling volumes, the entertainers of the future, like famous actors, it's like they come out of that environment. And it's very vibrant and it's very creative. It's very cool. A uh, nearing city, Chongqing, is right now focusing a lot on actually building uh, supercomputer uh, capabilities. They have a lot of science parks and uh, they, they really, really, really focus on this AI. It's not yet, you know, I cannot say that I see that technology implemented in the city at that extent, but in Chongqing, for example, when you drive close to the department store and you just stop there to drop it, let's say your friend, you receive a notification because there's these little beacons, there's these little sensors on the side road and they mm-hmm. interact with your car. They know that this is your WeChat, this is you. So there's a WeChat notification that pops up on your phone saying that if you're not going to move within the next 30 seconds, you're going to get a fine. So it's not yet mind blown, man. But it is connected. It's it's getting in into that direction when it comes to you know chanting as well. So yeah, there's a lot of really cool cities in China. And if you're into tourism, I would also recommend checking out Changsha. They focus a lot on the night economy, where basically the city doesn't sleep until like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And uh, even the police, no, not police station. Uh, police stations are hopefully working 24/7. But even the government uh, offices are working till like 11, 12, 1 o'clock mm. at night. Um, which is very unusual and, uh, you know, uh, Changshai is becoming a big tourist destination domestically and I think for tour- uh, for international tourists as well. So if you are in uh, tourism tech, go see what's possible there. Uh, I've heard about most cities that you mentioned, but still uh, lots of new info and uh, examples of how 
WeChat uh, influences your life, uh, one, of, one of which was with uh, parking and fine. This is maybe maybe not a big deal, but still impressive. WeChat yeah. in that respect is, as I said, is an operating system for life in China. Sometimes when I speak about WeChat, I sound like a salesperson on commission. So I'm, not <laughs> a, I'm not affiliated to WeChat in any ways. I'm not trying to sell this app. But what, what you need to understand for those outside of China, mainland, is that there is a WeChat international version, which is again a skinny, stripped down version of WeChat app. And there is Weixin, the actual original Chinese app mm -hmm. that can only be obtained if you have a Chinese number and um, essentially, yeah, you verify also your uh, identity, you link it with your bank account that is from mainland China. And then you get access to all these mini programs, right? You get access to all these features. So the app that you're looking at and you're saying, yeah, nothing impressive. It's not the app that we are talking about. In the country, it's literally uh, like the whole app store um, that you can imagine or that you're using is within that app, right? Through mini Super programs. Apps. Yeah, it is. A, it is a super app. And um, I like Alipay as well. Um, actually, Ant Financial is investing quite a lot into turning Alipay into more social uh, platform into a more not just transactional, but more kind of hangout place. They are partly succeeding, especially in the corporate world. A lot of uh, companies are switching and using um, Alipay related softwares and Ding Talk as you know, as their company preferred communication tool instead of WeChat work. Um, so both of them are important, but WeChat is just so easy and the habit is already there. So for small transactions, for small pains that you have in your life, order something, go somewhere, queue somewhere, you know, call, chat, it's, it's all WeChat. So you spend quite a lot of time on WeChat. And um, of course, uh, reading the accounts, it's, it's a little bit like news digest from those that you are mm -hmm. following, more like curated stuff that you receive on your phone directly. Looking forward to getting their bank accounts to, in China to, to, in order to, to see for myself. Um, uh, let's get uh, to the hottest topic as of today. ChatGPT, large language models, chatbots. You've written a bunch about that recently. And I wanted to ask you uh, your opinion, given the uh, strict public regulations. Do you think we'll see a rise of the Chinese uh, ChatGPT-likes systems in the near future. I've spoken on my podcast uh, with uh, a uh, Chinese writer, uh, Chen Su Fan, uh, Stanley Chen, a sci-fi writer who used AI for writing his uh, um, his texts, some of, some, some of his texts, but uh, he's written some early era uh, LLM. Now they've uh, definitely evolved, but we don't see yet uh, the global popularity of some Chinese produced LLMs. Will there be any that could compete with the uh, uh, Western uh, products. In my opinion, uh, first of all, uh, ChenGPT is also invested by a Chinese company, right? So even though right now in today's world, in my professional experience, we are living in the most hostile environment ever when it comes to China versus the West, right? Anything that is vaguely reported in a neutral or positive light about China it basically just doesn't happen because it's a political suicide. So we live in a very, very divided, very charged, very uh, difficult world. But one thing that we need to realize, it's very difficult to decouple when it comes to technology. 
the innovations, right? The science world. Everybody wants to just collaborate and envision the joint future for humankind. Uh, a good friend of mine is uh, uh, a professor in the American University. He's also a professor here in the University of Hong Kong. He is overseas Chinese in the AI uh, field. And, you know, scientists just want to resolve the issues that are preventing human, uh, basically, potentially going to drive humankind into extinction, such as our biases, such as AI, whatever, taking over the world, taking over certain functions, yeah. us destroying our uh, environment, etc. They want to tackle those together. Politicians have a very different uh, incentives. Business people have a different incentive again. Business people just want to make money and add value, make money and add value. So uh, when it comes to chat GPT-like systems, one thing we need to realize is that from the scientific standpoint, there will be some exchange, uh, there will be some learning, but they are creating for different environment. China today internally is creating for the local environment. Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, they are all creating for China first. And mm -hmm. then there's the rest of the world. And will Chinese participate in boosting what's happening in the rest of the world? Absolutely. Will there be some foreign companies that invest what's happening in China? I am not so sure. Um, that's on that level. When it comes to business level, we will very unlikely see platforms that will work across board. So even with the earlier you said TikTok, I mean, a Chinese company, a social media platform, e-commerce, um operator and they are right now being blocked in the us and you know and and the uh, hardware manufacturer huawei even though they are primarily in b2b business they do mm -hmm. uh, you know they they do operate factories and they are in the uh, in a completely different business but they do have this consumer product and they they want to provide high quality uh, i don't know, phones and other software and they also of course are being blocked yeah their consumer product is being blocked and of course they have 5g uh, stations and whatever other stations are blocked as well so will there be a scenario where some company from let's say uh, netherlands now becomes number one in europe africa southeast asia china us and i don't see this happening um will there be a chinese company doing the same no so they will create for their own unique environments and they will be good for that purpose so business people will have to use different solutions um but they will learn from each other so tech companies will learn from each other because as i said before scientists just want to resolve the problems and they will have to do it very discreetly and you were saying you know what about the public regulations so the way china operates is very different from the way kind of the rest of the world operates often because china has this big vision and uh, every five years china announces the big vision yeah the five-year plan this is where we're going that's what we're going to do and every single year since the beginning of 1950s, China has delivered all of the kind of promises, all of the KPIs that they set for that five-year plan. Every single one. So if we want to know mm -hmm. what is China going to do when it comes <laughs> to technology in the next five years, it's it's not a, you know, you don't need to be a fortune teller. It's not a, <laughs> a surprise. All you need to do is go to the five-year plan. And it's very clearly written that China is focusing on AI. China is focusing on building virtual worlds and, uh, you know, metaverse, blended reality, blah, 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 kind of solutions. 
China is focused on making sure their semiconductor uh, capabilities are way above where it is today because blah, blah. So it's all clearly stated. And once the government sets the direction, there's a lot of flexibility below when it comes to tech companies, um, state-owned companies, brands and consumers on how to get there. But ultimately, everybody's aligning into that direction. And sometimes they can run towards this goal. Sometimes they can walk towards this goal. Everybody has different capabilities. If you cannot walk or align yourself, you can just lie in the direction of your goal and look there. That's also okay. But everybody has the same direction. So um, chat GPT, to answer your question, but in a very uh, kind of elaborate and long way, uh, like solutions will be definitely developed in China. They will definitely be different from what the West so collectively came up with. They will definitely be a lot more curated uh, because Censorship. you cannot really control what what they are saying. It's it's a mm. it's a native language model, and this is mm -hmm. a big problem. So who's going to take responsibility? Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a news report in China <laughs> that was generated by ChatGPT. It was like a news. Um, push that said uh, something about, uh, I do not know, police. I forgot uh, what exactly it was about. Something like police in a certain place was giving out uh, XYZ things. It was totally fake, but people actually reacted to this if it was true. And then basically the person had to come forward and say, oh, it is ChatGPT generated stuff. So it was a big, big, big buzz saying, oh my God, this actually can generate fake news that people believe and people you know, are moved by. There will be some form of this AI-driven solution. And already today, China implements a lot of these things. We could call them deep fakes. We could call them, well, in China, we call them personal AIs. Uh, even on CCTV, when it comes to presenters, uh, you mm -hmm. can make your own uh, clone, virtual clone, right? And uh, essentially, a couple of their anchors are fully replaced by a virtual anchor. And they deliver news on sports and on some other, you know, topics. Later on, it will be used more and more in entertainment, in live streaming. We already have yeah. on platforms such as Alibaba customer service assistants that are personal with whom you can chat, not like ChatGPT, but still you can chat with them and there's a real person and, the, mm. you know, kind of, it looks like a real person, right? And when they reach their complexity, they don't know how to answer your question, etc. they switch to an actual a real person to answer you and st stuff like that. So all that is happening, but it's not going to be open. It's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be unregulated. It's not going to be wild west. It's not going to be the Western style chat GPT like systems. It's going to be a lot more controlled. It's going to be implemented through um, um, in entertainment, in e-commerce, uh, in um, uh, content creation fields, uh, quite a lot plus many others. So I'm excited about it to just watch what is China doing because the West can also learn stuff from China. Like we can disagree with each other on a lot of topics, but one ability we shall not ever, 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 ever lose is the ability to learn from each other, to look beyond it and say, you know what? I disagree with Greg on XYZ, but I can learn from Greg these things. And ultimately we rise together and we become better together. Wow, the, that was an, an inspiring take on things. I imagine the situation when I'm talking to a cool virtual uh, hologram of a, 
uh, assistant uh, on some website and then uh, a boring real guy joins in to help and I'm like, no, <laughs> give me back my futuristic virtual assistant. That's what the future is going to look like. Ashley, thank you so much for your uh, numerous insights. I hope that we will record part two once I'm in Hong Kong, uh, maybe in several months. Uh, if you, my subscribers and to listeners and watchers of this podcast like this one, please drop a comment saying that you would like part two and we will think about it. Uh, check out Ashley's uh, social profiles and links to her companies in the description. I'm Greg Mastrider. See you.